MSU men's basketball hopped on a plane, flew to Purdue, and said, nah. Football. I think MSU still has a program. We, of course, are answering your Twitter questions and give you a preview of the Wisconsin basketball game. You're listening to Can't Read, Can't Write. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Can't Read, Can't Write, the podcast that proves to Wolverines Spartans can talk. I'm Mike Jones, joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Kevin Grek. Thank you, folks, as always, for listening. If we could ask a small favor, please do share the pod with the Spartans in your life. Follow us on the old Twitter machine at Spartan underscore pod. And, of course, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. You leaving a review on Apple Podcasts inexplicably helps other people find the show. So we appreciate those of you who have taken the time to do so. Grek, we are recording in the middle of the national championship, which tells you how much I think you and I care about ACC v. SEC football. Yeah, uh, very little. And how's the week since we last talked? Oh, it's fine. It's a little shorter than usual. Uh, now that we're on our new recording schedule, I wouldn't really want to you know, belabor that. But uh, Jonesy, I got I to gotta come clean with you. I've betrayed you. Oh? Oh, you think that you did your introduction and then we played the MSU marching bands, the series, and then you went into your normal spiel about the program and everything that's going on. But as the audience knows, that's not what happened. (laughs) Instead, because I do the editing and I do all of the audio work, I've inserted Promiscuous Girl by Nelly Furtado into that space, except that. I haven't actually done it yet. We're recording this now. I'll edit that in the future. We'll put it in. The audience will hear it. Then they'll hear me telling you about it. And there's nothing you can do about it. This is a whole lot of verbal time travel that I'm not sure I was prepared for. I don't know Uh, what kind of literary device that is where the audience knows something that's going to happen that they've experienced, but you don't know that it's happened until I tell you it's happened, even though it hasn't happened. (laughs) This is so dumb. I have no time for it. (laughs) I just played a little bit more right there. Oh boy. I just played a little bit more for you. So uh, this album, not or this this, uh, yeah. this podcast, this album not- is called Loose. Thank you, and it's been in my ear all week because of you. I've gone back <laughs> down a rabbit hole. <laughs> you are so welcome. Uh, for those who didn't listen last week, uh, when Kevin and I lived together on Delta Street in East Lansing, it was uh, to say not uncommon. I would say regular to just walk into the apartment and hear promiscuous girl blasting from kevin's room but kevin we need to move on to our presenting sponsor and off uh nostalgia lane of course can't read can't write is brought to you as always by fraser's pub in ann arbor michigan on packard street want to let you know first and foremost that last week we had a question i believe from the upper deck jerk guy about hop slam um and i said it's like he's a prophet you know Yes, uh, yes. So I said swill. My mother uh, texted me after listening to the show and said that I am wrong. 
I got a hate text from my mother about the show. But more importantly, Hop Slam now on tap at Fraser's Pub. Other reasons besides Hop Slam you might go to Fraser's? Uh, there's a jukebox in the corner featuring Loose by Nelly Furtado. Yeah, uh, I think you can do the, the phone thing with the, the jukebox. Um, there's wood paneling, unparalleled wait staff, and they have a beer of the month special every month that you can get a 23 ounce for the same price as a pint. It is Founders Solid Gold, which is described by Founders as drinkable. Um, and uh, lastly, I want to let you know, Fraser's Pub is a fantastic place to go and watch a, an MSU Hoops game. Do want to let you know, if you're showing up for uh, a game, there might be other people who are also showing up. It's highly recommended. You put that food order in when you show up instead of like at tip-off. Just want to pass that PSA along from Fraser's Pub. That's a little life pro tip. Yeah, because otherwise it's kind of like trying to get a hot dog at halftime, you know? <laughs> it's just not yeah. a good idea. Anyway, that's that's your PSA on ordering from Fraser's Pub. And as always, we thank them for uh, being our presenting sponsor. If you do get a chance to go to Fraser's Pub in Ann Arbor, Michigan on Packard Street, please, please flag down the manager and let uh, let her know that Can't Read, Can't Write sent you. It would mean a whole lot to us. Indeed. So with that, let's get to the show. Uh, for those of you who might be new listeners, we have a pretty regular routine here. We first hop into a segment we call The Green Wall, where we're covering headlines surrounding MSU athletics from uh, the past week, even though we're doing an untruncated schedule this week with our new recording day. Well, Uh, enough has happened, so that's not a problem. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Then we head off Grand River and talk about some of the headlines that are going on in uh, college sports that are not MSU-related. And then finally, or after taking some Twitter questions, we wrap it up with a little preview of games to come in the next week. So, Kevin, uh, let's dive into our Greenwall coverage. And boy, oh boy, uh, never have I ever had a segment so inaptly named. Yeah. Um, there's been, I, I don't know, is it appropriate to call big news? Is that fair to say? Well, I think it's it's not right, because what we're talking about here is the Detroit News article that was published uh, Sunday night. Uh, So it it basically it outlines the process around the recruitment and what MSU knew about uh, the sexual assaults that took place that we've covered on previous uh, podcasts concerning not just uh, Corley, Vance, and King, but also Austin Robertson. Of course, this is all very much in the news because then recruiting coordinator Curtis Blackwell is in a civil lawsuit looking for damages against uh, many members of the university, including Mark D'Antonio in his official coaching capacity, who was deposed, which we also covered in previous episodes uh, over on Friday, correct? Yep. Yep. So this news article includes no new information from the D'Antonio deposition. So uh, don't think that that's in there. Really what it is is a chronicling of information that was already known with some additional details. And uh, before I go on, did I miss anything? No, I I just might uh, repackage it very briefly uh, for people. So uh, for those who maybe didn't know, um, 
back in, uh, you know, in 2016, MSU signed what uh, they called their dream team class. It was the highest ranked recruiting class that MSU ever brought in. Four members of that class were later kicked off the team for sexual assault. Three of them, uh, Corley, Vance, and King, were part of one incident. And there was another incident involving a sexual assault uh, with Austin Robertson. Um, Austin Robertson had prior issues of sexual uh, misconduct or sexual assault in his past. At least one of those seemed to have been known by the university when they chose to bring him in. A great number of them, additional ones, were reported by the Detroit News in this article, and that is new information, though they do bury in the article in a one-line note that it's not clear what MSU actually knew about those things. And based upon the fact that the stories seem largely sourced from Curtis Blackwell's attorneys, uh, who would have had access to information that the university wouldn't have been able to obtain because his juvenile records would have been sealed. Yes. Fair? Fair. Uh, and also, we should note uh, there was something that, that you mentioned in there. Um, Curtis Blackwell, the reason that his the reason that his contract was not renewed was related to the Vance Corley and King incident, but and, they and, are bringing into that this Robinson incident as well, uh, and he's making the argument that uh, that he's been a patsy, you know, that he's been set up by the university to take the fall. Um, and I, I don't know what what else do you want to say about it. So I, I guess we would just say this: that uh, the Austin Robertson recruiting is questionable at best, and will likely remain a stain on Mark D'Antonio's legacy. It, it, it you know he may have thought with the best intentions that he could do something good for a young man who, who did something bad in his past, but that's still just because he, he thought he could do something good. Doesn't change the fact that his decision resulted in um, something terrible happening to a young woman on Michigan state's campus. Um, But that, as it relates to the three other individuals, there was no reason to suspect that they might have done something terrible. And and Curtis Blackwell was terminated because he, I think the the colloquial way of saying it is conducted his own investigation to the and and didn't follow proper procedures for how sexual assaults should be handled. That you would agree with that. Well, that was what was cited uh, by the detectives when he was uh, interviewed at the Scandalous Scandalera Center and put under arrest. The uh, their idea was that uh, he had information that he had not been forthcoming with to authorities, and thus he had allowed uh, two of those individuals to tamper or destroy evidence that they could have used in that case. Um, and it, you know, they did plea down to some very strange old, you know, going to be struck from their records eventually, uh, like 
felony charge. Um, so the state didn't have a great case against them. Um, and maybe Blackwell's lack of going to the authorities was something to do with that. Um, for what it's worth, and I don't know what your position is, Jonesy, as someone that's gone to law, law school, there is a report uh, done by the Jones Day Law Firm available publicly uh, that uh, sort of goes through the whole situation, investigates that entire, um, all of those events, and sort of lays them all out. Curtis Blackwell did not participate in that investigation, uh, but it is available for you to see. So some combination of that report with this Detroit News article should give you a pretty good and clear understanding of of all of the events as they took place. Yeah, the the one thing I would add is that, you know, I find I find reporting generally about legal proceedings um not well done if if the particularly particularly sports reporters attempting to report on legal proceedings is is uniquely not well done this this article was frustrating to read because it is largely a recitation of of previously reported facts but couches it in D'Antonio just gave a deposition and then says a whole bunch of stuff that was previously reported, which makes it seem like all of these facts were confirmed by the Mark D'Antonio deposition. That is not, it, it, that may or may not be true. We don't know but, it to be true. Right. And so it, it is, it is an unfair phrasing. It also was a little bit reductive of Curtis Blackwell's wrongdoing or or at least the 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 wrongdoing seen in the Jones Day report and then you know what the university stance on why his his contract was not renewed in that he it seemingly interfered with an investigation that was going on into sexual assault and so for those reasons the the article seemed to because it it was either sourced from police reports which is fine or from Curtis Blackwell's own deposition, which is his narrative of what happened, um, or or through his through his attorneys, who likely handed over some of these court documents to the news that they wouldn't have had access to otherwise. And for that reason, it does seem like there was some carrying of water that happened um, while still reporting. It, it it's not bad journalism. It it just didn't. I I feel like the article didn't do a good enough job of of saying clearly how things were sourced and the lack of voice from the university who wouldn't comment on any of this, nor should they. I'm just saying that as an attorney, I would have told my client, you say nothing about any of this. Because you 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 don't put any of this into public. If if it's gonna go into public, it's gonna be through court channels. So that's what I got on it. And and uh, Jer Bear gave the call out that we said what happened did happen. Or what? we we, pre- we predicted rather that after Mark D'Antonio's uh, uh, deposition that that the Blackwell attorneys would indeed try and source a narrative about this to the news. And that's, in fact, what happened. So 
We predicted the future, Kevin. Look at us. Great work. Geniuses. Let's wrap it up. Yep. All um, right. Nailed it. So uh, moving on to other not great football news, maybe. Uh, Cody White, junior wide receiver, um, is headed to the NFL. Kevin, wh- what, was, what was your thought when, uh, when I shared that news with you? Well, I mean... It's unfortunate for the MSU football team and its prospects for next year. Cody White was seen to be one of the first options uh, for what will be a new quarterback next season. And uh, he won't be there. Certainly, it's the position of the podcast and its hosts that we wish Mr. White well. Uh, I did some research on what the draft boards look like for him. They look modest. Uh, I'm sure he's talking to people. Um, his measurables are okay. I wish him a a good and long career, but, uh, it would have been, I I guess at the same time, he did have a good season this year. So maybe it was time for him to go. Maybe it makes sense. Yeah. And honestly, I think again, I, I would echo and you spoke well on behalf of both of us. We, we love that he was a Spartan and we wish him nothing but the best in his professional career. Uh, if we're looking for silver linings in this, you know, assuming D'Antonio is going to be the coach next year, he does tend to, uh, default to upperclassmen. And this potentially forces his hand to turn to some younger players who, you know, may have more speed than Cody white. It, if we're, being candid about an area that he could have been better. Cody White was not the fastest player on the field. And this also gives a very young receiving core a chance to grow up with a young quarterback. So you would look for some excitement next year, and then you would look for more and more chemistry the years to come. You're this giggling might be at good me about something. for the MSU offense in spite of itself. <laughs> I, I mean, at some point in time, Enough tragedies have to turn into a comedy, right? Ugh. Anyway, best of luck uh, to you, Cody White. Uh, I don't believe he's graduated yet, so we hope to see you back on campus after a long NFL career um, to finish at that degree. Yes. Uh, and then last bit of news that we will not comment on extensively, but uh, Ed Warner, uh, who... I, I believe was a reserve in the linebacking core that, you know, had decent chances to get substantial playing time, had some special teams playing time this past year has left and is headed to the Wolverines. Uh, I would, I would say that he's dead to me and a traitor, but his father coaches there. So he can, he can get a pass. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so we, we thank him also for his time and wish him a modest amount of success in Ann Arbor for him personally. Great. I hope the team goes 0 and 12. <laughs> yes. Well said. So, uh, after those happy notes, Kevin, let's turn to basketball. <laughs> yeah. Let's bring it up with basketball. Jonesy. What was your Purdue viewing experience? Walk me through it. Um, my Purdue viewing experience was in front of my new TV. Uh, and oh, wow. it was, I wasn't, yep. I wasn't trying to set you up for a flex there. I, I wanted to hear about how you were. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to flex in, down here on okay. sale at Costco. What up? <laughs> um, the, it was sad. Um, 
and it was it was sort of like I I had anticipated you know an enjoyable game, and so I was going to do some some chores related to you know we just moved into the place, and so I was going to do some things during commercial breaks, and it was like watching a train wreck, and I I, I just I had to stare for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. What was your I found uh, other things to do during commercial breaks. Usually I I sit there and endure them. But this game, I uh, got up out of my chair. I walked around. I uh, I cleaned the the cabinets in the kitchen. (laughs) Came back around, watched some more of the game, sat down, knew that we'd have to discuss it here. What was surprising, I think, to me was that as bad as the first half was, the second half was equally as bad. I Usually in these types of games, you have a terrible first half, and if you either make the comeback or you just sort of tread water in the second half, it ends up being about the same, uh, about the same, you know, score difference. Well, they, 10, they, 15 they... points is about what I expected. But this, uh, no, it it was as bad as the first half was, so was the second. Yeah. So for those, because we didn't say it, uh, MSU got shellacked at uh, at Purdue at Mackey uh, in a 71 to 42. And I feel bad that we made fun of Purdue recently for scoring 37 points in a game because that was not much better. Um, some team stats. I just want to run over with folks because run over. <laughs> yeah. Freudian uh, slip. The and and I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give you the stats from the Purdue game, and then I'm gonna give you what we did against Duke, who I feel like we also got dominated by. Uh, and just to kind of put in perspective how how terrible this Purdue performance was. So we were 18 from for 18 for 51 from the field. That's 35 percent. At Duke, we were 28 for 62. That's 45%. So 10 points down. Uh, We were 2 for 16 from the three-point arc. That's a 12.5%. And against Duke, uh, it was 4 for 16. That's 25%. And last, I think the most alarming, is we were 4 for a mere 6 from the free-throw line where it was 15 for 23 at Duke. And it's just worth noting, Purdue managed to get to the charity stripe 18 times. So I, 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 we we could go player by player. I, I, you know, it, it was bad. Everyone was, everyone was bad. If you want to do comparables, you could also com- compare this game and its outcome to when Purdue played Virginia. Uh, Purdue also put a shellacking on Virginia. Here's the thing, though. This is not your conventional Virginia team. What we've come to expect of Virginia, not like all-time Virginia, but the last five, six years Virginia. So these types of losses it kind of just don't happen to national championship caliber teams. Uh, certainly not against teams that uh, are very close to 500. Um, Purdue has been uh, beaten by some, some, 
you know, not exactly stiff competition. So what jumps out to me and what jumped out to me during the game was, was the shooting. Um, uh, the defense was also bad, but the shooting, I mean, you just can't win with these numbers. You can't win going, if you use 18 of your possessions to attempt three point shots and you convert six points of those, you just cannot win basketball games. Um, and if you, if you're as bad from two as this team was, you certainly can't win basketball games. So, um, there were, I mean, you could say that rocket Watts played okay offensively. Um, he also can't move with the ball, uh, (laughs) without that, uh, that the jab step, that's really two steps. I mean, there were how many travels did MSU have in this game? Cassius had a couple. Um, he had one on an inbound, and well, and then the other one was a a little bogus. He had to like he had to bring like, lift the ball up over his head to avoid because, contact with the Purdue player. Yeah, yeah it, that was nonsense. That, that I mean, it, I I am not much like the Kentucky game. I am not blaming this game at all on the officials, but but it did seem like they forgot that they had whistles when MSU had the ball, unless they were going to call a travel. Uh, and and I think the foul shots are pretty indicative of that. You, you, I mean, six to eighteen is. N- I, I mean, come on! Like that's, you heard it here, folks. Crazy. Home cooking. It was home cooking this game. It wouldn't have changed that the outcome the of the game because thing. we were terrible. Uh, but the, the refs did not help. Um, I, look, I, I, so, all right, here, let's, instead of going through each, uh, each, I'm getting notifications on my computer. That's great. Um, yeah, you're each, stuck on a Windows machine, right? You don't know how those things work. Nope. <sighs> so, Instead of going through each player, why don't we just let me give you a a, a question to answer here? Sure. MSU, Is it going to be about Forrest Lawyer? No. Uh, it the on on the one hand, people are projecting that five losses will win the Big Ten, and you know MSU ordinarily drops a handful of Big Ten games, even on, with great teams. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, in 2012, we, you know, it was a Final Four team and it got shellacked on the road at one point in time. This actually is probably the worst loss since then. Um, the, on the other hand, people are saying this team, this is past a wake-up call. That this team got uh, throttled by Kentucky, got upset by Virginia Tech, and got throttled by Duke. We're, this is the fourth time now, and so this team has glaring issues, especially if Cassius isn't having a game. So is this team fundamentally flawed for what our preseason hopes were? Yes. Or, or do you still think... we that discussion. Haven't we? We've already... People are... Well, we, I'm asking, we is it fundamentally this... flawed? Is, it, is, is this team not capable of a natty in the way that we hoped they were? It is not... Right now, it needs luck for a natty, for sure. The shooting is just not there. We've had this discussion 
several times on this podcast. And then I think after the Kentucky game, we had, we also pointed out that the big 10 schedule could give you a false sense of security because of all the home games and the only road game being against Northwestern. So I think the pendulum is swinging back to where it was kind of in that November, December timeframe, um, which may, you know, it's somewhere in between. If the team shoots like this, it could lose any game in the NCAA tournament. But this is still like a Sweet 16 Elite 8 caliber t- caliber team. Uh, could it go to the Final Four? Could it go and win the Natty? Yes, absolutely. It could catch fire. It could go win it all. But is it just as likely that it loses in the round of 32? Or just gets the Sweet 16 and gets throttled by some team out there? I could see that happening too. So what do you make of, and we'll get into this a little bit in a Twitter question, but what do you get into to Izzo's comments that anyone who, who thinks this is a blueprint uh, for how to beat us is wrong, we will be prepared. I mean, well, you, from a coaching standpoint, do you think this team, that, that do you think that Izzo is, can, has the tools to make the appropriate adjustments to the scheme going forward? Well, upper deck jerk guy, it has a similar question. Uh, so we'll just address that now. I, I mean, every Big Ten team knows every other Big Ten team. All of these coaches know one another. Cassius Winston has been in the league for four years. They know the ball screens. They know how to defend them. They know what he's good at. They know how to get in the lanes. They know how to disrupt what he's up to. The question is, what teams are able to do that and what teams aren't? And then at what times are MSU going to be able to rise above those defensive looks and, and those, you know, gap coverages and those hedges or whatever it is that teams are doing on ball screens. Um, that'll be the determining factor. Um, so I think the blueprint exists anyway. Uh, I think, you know, Tom Bizzo does a good job making it hard for teams to put that blueprint together and you know, it's, it's there. Other teams can use it. Um, the question is, will they be able to capitalize? Yeah. And, and it, uh, you know, it doesn't help that Purdue played lights out beyond what their norm is. I mean, so it it was a historically uncharacteristically all around terrible effort from MSU. And I would literally put effort into it. I I think it's fair to say that the team was low energy at best. Mm -hmm. And then Purdue played beyond their norm uh there is one thing i thought about putting out to the twitter community the concept of the tom Izzo stop the bleeding timeout oh yeah he does it so rarely and apparently 15 points is the threshold i think he (laughs) called one in the duke game earlier this year too but i've seen him go through regular seasons without ever calling one um but i you know he did it yesterday and what do you er, yeah yesterday and what do you know it worked like <laughs> the momentum swung back to msu for a little bit i think they you know got the lead down to like nine at one point and then purdue just took back over so so yeah. i guess the message is tom you have timeouts feel free to use them yeah Maybe you have to with this team, Tom. I know that he likes to let the players play and dig themselves out of holes, but maybe you have to with this group. Yeah. Well, so, 
you know, Kevin, as we wrap up our Purdue discussion, interestingly, our first not a sponsor what? today. How convenient. Uh, this is, is it, it really did. Um, and look, this is yet another player that Can't Read, Can't Write is partnering with to be pioneers on the name, image, and likeness. And we want to let you know about this very special sponsor. Evan Boudreau wants to let you know about his Blue Moon Juice. Sometimes you're blessed with a body for basketball, but frankly, you're just not very good at it. So you hit the gym hard. You chase your dreams, but you need that something extra. That's where Boudreau Blue Moon Juice comes in. Taking Boudreau Boudreau Blue Moon Juice daily will guarantee... That once at a blue moon, you'll be good at basketball. You'll light up a top 10 team. You will be an unreal force. It is literally unimaginable. Like, seriously. You look at the whole season, no one would have ever expected this. And it'll earn you a Power 5 scholarship. There are side effects, though. Google Evan Boudreau, and you'll understand. Evan Boudreau, Blue Moon Juice. Be good at basketball. Once in a blue moon. All right, Kevin, let's head off Grand River. Let's. And start it up with a interesting column uh, that came out in advance of the national title game, which is happening as we record. Yep. Again, nothing like SEC, ACC football to make me not interested. I live for it. So uh, Dan Wolken uh, had this column Sort of as a reminder to people, and I thought it was interesting. So LSU had a booster that was discovered at the beginning of the season uh, who was literally stealing from kids with cancer uh, (laughs) using a charity to funnel money to an O-lineman's family on LSU. Now, isn't it, though, that he said the charity was for kids with cancer? but then he just misappropriated the funds. So it's not like they had the money and he took it from them. It's that he never gave it to them to begin with. Correct? You're right. You're right. That's much better. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, to be clear, folks, this took place back in 2015. Um, uh, So no one on the LSU team now uh, or uh, the the parties involved are no longer on the team. Um, And certainly we... I, I think it's fair to say we have complicated feelings about punishing current players for the misdeeds of past ones. That's, that's a, a dicey issue. Or, and frankly, also the misdeeds of adults who are, are not amateurs. Um, but what's fascinating is, one, that what would have been a huge scandal back in the day, you know, think, as he pointed out, you know, Ohio State signing paraphernalia to get tattoos um, is now not really that big of a deal. No, you know, we, we've all. we've all forgotten about it. And indeed, what's alarming is the NCAA still hasn't handed down a punishment. So they've known about this at least since August and nothing has happened. Doesn't LSU feel like a team under the pall of an NCAA investigation? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean they're just such a fraud of an organization. Like this is nonsense. Like they, they something wrong happened. And, and it's fair to ask, how is it that 
boosters knew how and where to establish relationships, right? Like, I mean, that is a thing that yeah. that probably warrants some investigation. It, it is entirely likely that someone at LSU was facilitating this. And, and also, to be clear, that uh, Coach O, not the coach at the time that this was happening. So, of course, not. I mean, Coach O, we would never. He rises so I, above. I... <laughs> I, I'm just making the point that uh, this isn't necessarily an indictment on anyone who who's on the current team, but the NCAA just what are you doing? Like these are pretty serious. Indeed, the the boosters in jail right now. Yes. Yet you. So he's we've we've managed to run him through a system of justice, sentence him and get him serving time. Yet the NCAA hasn't finished conducting their investigation and handing down a sentence. I'm I'm baffled. I'm genuinely baffled. More bureaucratic than the federal government or the state AG's office in Louisiana or whatever it is, whoever. I mean, Jesus, like get it together, guys. Uh, do you have anything else to say about this other than the NCAA is continues to be a joke? I think the NCAA is a function of its membership universities and they don't really know what to do right now. Um, and the NCAA doesn't know how to hang on to it's what little power it has left. I, I mean, it's shaping up to be more and more a house of cards. That's just going to come tumbling down here at some point. I mean, if if the NCAA wanted to get their power back, they should just exercise their power. Yeah, they could get they could they could simultaneously lead the way on name, image and likeness. They they could do that and also be uh, strong on, hey, you know, what's not okay is using a charity to funnel money to the family of an O-lineman like that's not okay. And they could make that serious consequences for a university for permitting that kind of culture they could do both of those things let's write them a letter we'll deliver it ourselves down to indianapolis and just be like listen guys oh, i can't, can't write go. stationary yep some nice handsome letterhead the can't uh-huh. read can't write uh-huh. logo uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> picture Which... it up there <laughs> well done uh, well done so uh yeah i mean I, it just shows us where we're at this is college athletics 2020 so uh, speaking of, of organizations that are able to handle down a punishment quicker than the NCAA, uh, the Major League Baseball handed down a punishment for the Astros for their sign stealing. Um, you know, we're we're sad to hear about this as the the Astros audiovisual <laughs> department was not a sponsor to us before. I couldn't believe it when I heard about this. This luckily no one from the audiovisual department. Uh, has been sanctioned anyway, but uh, Major League Baseball did suspend the Astros GM and manager for a year. The Astros were fined a record $5 million and lost first and second round draft picks for the 2020 and 2021 drafts. Following this uh, penalty, the Astros immediately fired the GM and manager who had been <laughs> suspended. So... I mean, this is this is an incredible punishment, a, a, an unprecedented punishment. Yes. For the MLB, this uh, there was recently a punishment about something about foreign players a couple of years ago, a few years ago now. 
Um, but yeah, these types of things don't really get handed down uh, in the MLB. But on the other side, you know, they won. They get that series title, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like how the, the, this this punishment acknowledges that they fully cheated to win a World Series. Yeah, but does not take the World Series away from them. They could vacate that win. They could absolutely vacate the win. Indeed, they could give the win to the whoever they played. It doesn't matter, though. If you figure the Astros cheated all year, then the whole season is pretty much is a wash. Um, but super fascinating. I, I, it's interesting that the MLB has. Uh, drawn this line in the sand. I, I think that that's pretty impressive that they've made a statement about it mm-hmm. and they should serve as a role model to the NCAA. And I, I mean, you got to give it credit to the Astros organization to some degree for just being like, yeah, it's true. Yeah, we did it. We stole the signs. We had, uh, we were banging can. the drum. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there All are right. YouTube, YouTube breakdowns that are, pretty impressively authoritative on you can hear that that uh that that banging that from, drum gun yeah <laughs> that, uh, what is it? it's like a garbage can <laughs> yes just like taking a bat to it i wonder if they had to cycle new garbage cans in and out um because of of bat contact uh but again at the same time they got that ship man they got that ship yep yep all costs um All right, Kevin, let's hear from our next not a sponsor so we can move into our Twitter questions. Uh, Our next not a sponsor. I'm really excited about this one. You know what? You and me both genuinely thrilled about this one. Uh, (laughs) It is another joint ad, Kevin, uh, Grecker's. And uh, well, not really a joint ad, but it's an ad from the state of Mississippi. Yeah. Who is making a pitch on behalf of two people, two entities, really. So the state of Mississippi, folks, wants to just say, you're welcome. Our university's football teams are now coached by Lane Kiffin and just this week, Mike Leach, joining the other MSU, Mississippi State. So buckle up, because things are about ready to get even weirder in Mississippi. (laughs) Look forward to not only the annual Egg Bowl, which frankly should now be called the Cadbury Egg Bowl, but also not a sponsor content from these two titans of the sidelines for years to come. America. You're welcome. Yes, for years to come. I expect this to last forever. <laughs> I love Truly, it. we will look back on this in 20 years and think, oh, yes, Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin, they've been at those Mississippi schools for, I can't even remember how long now. <laughs> I mean, do you think Mike Leach ever goes to a, a state, like, do you think he ever leaves the circuit of, state schools that are not really as important as the 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 name university they're not and a I, flagship I, so to yeah speak. and i and i say that fully aware that we are michigan state but i think it's it's completely unreasonable to make a comparison of michigan state to michigan as washington state to washington or mississippi state to mississippi Ole miss uh well i i mean i don't hold Ole miss in very high esteem do you like i kind of consider those very like i mean neither of them i i hear that ole miss is a good place to go for a tailgate but then you've also got to remember all of the like history racism you've got to endure so um, stars and bars 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is not that long ago. I, so I, I don't know. I like Washington state. They got that whole, uh, what's the ESPN flag game, game day. Yeah. Yep. The whole game day thing. Um, so yeah. Uh, but, Ole Miss still called the Rebels, right? Uh, I thought they were trying to get away from that. Did they? <laughs> did they take Admiral Akbar? Where did that end up? Well, but their mascot is still the Rebels, right? Uh, you set me up for something. No, it's a. It appears to be a, a shark. Tony the Land oh. Shark. Oh no! It says the Rebels. Colonel Reb. First seen in 1937. Ole Miss, they're the rebels. And you know what? We all know what they're the rebels of. In 2018, Ole Miss introduces the new land land mascot, Landshark Tony. Cool. Welcome, Tony. Landshark Tony. Can you buy a bowl of alcohol from him? God. Shark bowls. (laughs) I feel like a shark bowl right now. Like you anyway, are a shark bowl or a drinking a shark bowl. This will, I mean, this will not last for very long, but I will enjoy every meme filled moment of it while it does. Amen to that. So thank you state of Mississippi for being a not a sponsor. We are delighted to uh, hear from your continued support for the at least maybe two seasons to come. Uh, first Twitter question is from Richard K. First time uh, Twitter questioner, and I'm sorry, but I am not going to blindly stab at your last name. But it's a Richard K. And he wants to know: Don't we need a real athletic director? Uh, yeah, yeah, we do, and everybody knows it. That's why our current athletic director has a golden parachute built into his contract because the people that gave him that position know that he's not qualified for it. So they're specifically making it difficult to justify getting rid of him. Um, so yeah, Richard K. Uh, we sure do. Anything yep. you want to add? Nah. I mean, I, uh, the thing I, I would just add this, you know, Bill Beekman hasn't even made himself particularly available, right? Like he could go a long way by doing sit downs with some media outlets but he hasn't. The man does not know what he's doing. Remember when he was uh, interim president for a day and it was bedlam on campus and nobody knew what was going on. And effectively Tom Izzo was president of the university because he was the only person that would step in front of a, a news camera. You know, weirdly, as much as I love Izzo and think he would be fantastic at a great number of things. I do remember university that. president is not he, one of those things. No, having him try and answer for everything that was happening was just awful. I, I, I felt sad for the man. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, next up, mom, Maple Leaf coming back with another question wants to know with the upcoming Wisconsin at MSU game, please debate. This isn't really a question. <laughs> just wants us to debate Micah Potter. Versus Quade Green and the NCAA transfer requirements and waivers. Kevin, I'm just going to, I'll let you give some background, but I don't know that there's anything to debate because it's just nonsense. It's freaking yeah. chaos. Yep. 
Again, see Joey Hauser, see other such uh, transfer situations going on in the NCAA. Of course, uh, Michael Pot- Micah Potter, pardon me, missed pre-conference play for Wisconsin. He's an Ohio State transfer. A, a very strange intra-conference transfer. Um, so he's played all of like six games now, I think, at this point. And they're uh, five and one since he's been back, or since he started. Because the NCAA requires, quote, a full year after transferring so that was a whole thing quay green on the other hand uh had immediate eligibility uh although i think he's not playing now right where do we end up on that yes he's been declared academically ineligible by uh university of washington okay so a separate thing but again uh just inconsistencies across the board in the NCAA. Uh, that's why M- MSU went so hard on the Hauser situation. It's why, uh, it's why it's now accepted, um, that, you know, in college basketball, whether or not your transfer waiver will be accepted depends on how good your lawyer is. Um, it's just, you don't know, you don't know how it's going to work out. Uh, and apparently it didn't work for Mr. Potter at first, but it has been for him recently, as we'll cover in our Wisconsin primer at the end of the podcast. Yeah, I, I think the only thing I would add to this, because it, it is it, it is just such nonsense, is that the NCAA could do a lot of favors by making these decisions and the applications for them more public. So, you know, if... For instance, I, I believe uh, Justin Fields, who transferred from uh, Georgia to Ohio State, mm-hmm. had um, complained of of racist incidents at, at Georgia, in which, by all means, he should be able to get out of Dodge. Like, if he's not feeling comfortable there, then he he should he should be granted that access. But it wouldn't it be nice if the NCAA made clear the reasoning for all of their decisions so that universities would know, you know, because I I can only imagine much like choosing a school that a decision to transfer is influenced by a variety of factors. Sure. And so, you know, having to, to stab at the reasons why you did or did not leave in hopes of getting three people who don't actually work in college athletics to agree that, that you should be able to is kind of bonkers that's not how the legal system works right like judges write opinions Mm -hmm. courts are you know cases are on a docket where that docket is publicly viewable there is zero reason why a coach should have to call around to his buddies to find out what worked and what didn't and then there's an isolated knowledge base that is incomplete they they could do much better by making this public and so that's the only thing i would add uh Next question from CTNTC, our favorite Wolverine troll. Um, and we do them in, mean that sincerely. He's our favorite Wolverine. Uh, do beat writers have integrity? Well, I guess there's a question. Yeah, of course. And uh, we did just sort of call into question a news article in the Detroit News uh, published by not an MSU beat writer, but a sports writer nonetheless. And an MSU alum. Oh, I. There's always been this question. Uh, can you be too close to the question to the program that you're covering? And also, 
beat writers sort of uh, traffic in this concept of access, right? Like, can I get to the head coach? Can I get to the best players? Can I get the quote? It's sort of a, a question of who has more integrity, whoever the beat writer is for the pre for the pre press or Hondo Carpenter. Um, <laughs> I think generally speaking, news organizations that cover Michigan State and this might upset some of our listening audience have done a fair job. Uh, the situations that are happening at Michigan State are are not simple, and they're I'm sure they're not easy to cover. So uh, I have some critiques of some of the decisions that have been made, but at the same time, overall, I think beat writers that I've seen have had a fair amount of integrity. What do you think? So you raise an interesting point about access, and, and I would say that it is a little bit sport dependent. And so, you know, in in places like football, where I think it would be fair to say about both U of M and MSU, there's a lot less access granted. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is that I think those writers crave access, and so they do nothing to rock the boat. Whereas with basketball, there's a ton of access. I, I can't speak for U of M, but you know, it is well reported that and, and acknowledged that Tom Izzo gives as much access as you want for the most part. And he though is, I remember hearing Brennan Quinn talk about who, who's a beat writer for the athletic, um, talk about how, when he first started covering MSU, that Izzo was a little distrustful of him and that it took some time to earn that trust. But I, I think for Izzo, that doesn't mean, do you write nice things about me all the time? Surely that's not the case because it, there are plenty of critical things that are written about Tom Izzo, sure. it, be, but he is an introspective man who is also willing to criticize himself. Mm -hmm. So it, it is, I, I think for Izzo, just about what he perceives as fair. And I think he has a fair barometer of what's fair. So uh, to that point, I would recommend that if you haven't read it, go back and read Joe Rexroad's last column. Uh, before he went to the Tennessean. It's about Tom Izzo and that relationship and um, the intricacies of it. Um, and I, th I think most people would say Joe Rex Road is a great beat writer and columnist and has loads of integrity, but he's also obviously granted a lot of access. But there are discussions, off-the-record discussions, uh, elements that beat writers are going to see in practice that, you know, they should just know are between, you know, scheme related things between, uh, them and the coach. So, um, yeah, I, at the end of the day, I think beat writers generally have integrity. Yeah. Um, next question is from John Hubbard and this one is directed at me. To I you. responded to him on Twitter. Uh, thinking that he was just being nice on Twitter, but he meant it as a, a Twitter question. He says, your listening public was remiss last week. How'd the move go? So first, thank you, John. That was really nice of you to ask. Uh, second of all, it, it went pretty fantastically. Um, had great movers, uh, had a couple pieces of furniture that were a little, little dinged up, but, um, you know, nothing major. And 
got a lot done in the first weekend, and all the boxes are unpacked at this point in time. So that's pretty great, I think, for being in here for a full week now. So thanks for asking. Uh, you got anything to comment on about that, Kevin? <laughs> nope. Congrats. <coughs> thanks. Congrats on the new TV, buddy. Oh, you're welcome. Or thank you. Oh my god, these something easies have a little, little, little alcohol to them. Yeah, All right. Next question is: What does Cody White's departure do to the football's offensive prospects na- next year? Does the offense have an elder statesman to head things up now? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with it. I'm I'm fine. It's going to be young all around. Uh, the O line is basically the oldest position group. Oh boy! <laughs> I, look, I think as much negativity as they're swirling around MSU football, I am really excited to see this offense. It's it's fresh, and you know what we needed was something fresh. And if it still is super stale next year then i'm really gonna burn the place down but i'm there's a a lot to be excited about on offense and i'm psyched for it so congrats to cody white again but i'm excited for like an entirely freshman lineup um next question with the release of bud light seltzer is it fair to say that humanity has nothing left to achieve uh terraforming mars that's it (laughs) i mean that's the that's the last thing after this right Solid agree. And you know what? I'm, <laughs> I, I bet you they can terraform it with Bud Light Seltzer. Just send it there. <laughs> just yeah, It'll just form a... It'll form biosphere. an atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, next question from MDC. Uh, what asinine uniform element will be added to, for football next season? Neon green, black, bronze, ridiculous font size, etc. Well, we're the Spartans, right? So, um, I, I guess like leather armor. I, I <laughs> <laughs> so I, I suspect that it will be a, uh, the, the letters will be in sort of, um, you know, like a shiny silver, like a, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like a, almost like a patent leather, but in a kind of a silver, that's a bit reflective, a bit mirrored. Sure. That's, that's what I'm going with. Okay. That's my guess. I think they're going to bring back the old like Cinderella style uh, jerseys uh, to uh, as we all pour one out for uh, for Charles Rogers. George. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay, Yeah. yeah. Um, Next question. I think this is a great question. Looking at style, quality and price, which was slash is better MSU clothing? Stephen Berry's when they were open or Nike? Oh my gosh. Well, like you've got to map this out in 3D space. We're on three axis now. Style, quality, and price. You gotta go Steve Berry's, right? You walk in there, you get yourself a t-shirt for like eight bucks. Boom. You know that same t-shirt costs from Nike? Like 72, probably. Something like that in the neighborhood. So I've got a whole uh, moving storage full of old Stephen Barry stuff that I bought uh, as they're going out of business style. And I'm just cycling through that. What do you got? Uh, strong disagree. Uh, Nike all the way. It is better fitting. It is better quality. And yes, it is more expensive. But I don't wear MSU stuff every day, though. I just did get a Nike MSU uh, dry fit hat, which I wear quite frequently. And it is, it, it's just better. So for game day, if you're going to spend a few bucks on something that can be a staple, go Nike. 
I had a Stephen Berry shirt and it was it turned like after one wash turned into a midriff. It was like insane. Yeah, that anyway. was on purpose. They wanted to see a little skin out of you. I mean, I get it. Mm-hmm. You're a three star. Looking over here at a five star. Yep, that's what uh, I mean. They next moves question. Ahead. Next question is from Taylor Anderson. Why do we? Why do we always struggle at Mackey? Is it a mental thing? Does the, this trip always just come up as the perfect trap game? Seems like every year the struggle is in West Lafayette. Teams struggle on the road in the Big Ten, and then teams particularly struggle on the road at Mackey Arena. And it doesn't hurt that uh, Purdue has a pretty good coach in Matt Painter. Dude is not a slouch, as it turns out. I know we weren't quite sure on him for a few years there, but I think it's safe to say now that uh, he's solidly in the top echelon of uh, Big Ten coaches. So I think it's a function of the environment there. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that is just a live crowd, and they are so emotionally invested in every single play and the energy doesn't seem to let up. And yeah, I mean, it's weird that they, that Purdue seems to perform so much better there, but it's not weird that it's a tough place to play. Um, Raymond Chains coming back with some questions. Boom. Wants to know a few weeks after football season ended, I realized that the Spartans have finished above 500 the last two years and did actually beat winning teams. I'm not saying the program isn't showing holes, but maybe there's more in the tank than realized. Or are we headed to a 3-9 redux? Uh, well, looking at the schedule next year, uh, I'm not expecting a 9-3. and three. <laughs> So I think um, this is sort of where we've ended up as a pod, just to speak for the both of us. Uh, I think we are expecting a similar outcome in terms of record next year, but perhaps some things to be excited about an emerging quarterback talent things work themselves out in the wide receiver and uh and uh running back cores and on defense uh hopefully things sort of equal themselves out that those position group position groups get a little older uh maybe don't get burned so much on the big plays and we return to sort of a, an msu defense that you can rely upon what do you think yeah, well said. Um, I, I don't think we're headed to a three and nine. Um, you know, I we were asked about this on Twitter, I, I think by CTNTC. And, you know, he said, looking at like a six and six. And I said, yeah, that's probably right. Plus or minus one. If we did win nine games, I, I mean, I'd be surprised, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I, I It would take some things to happen, but I, I'm just saying it's theoretically possible. But, you know, there there is a lot of young talent. We tend to reload fine on defense. And so, you know, I don't expect a catastrophic drop-off on D. And there's some exciting playmakers coming in. So who who knows? But 6-6, six and six, probably right. Though, hopefully a 6-6 six and six you feel kind of okay about. That's all I would say. Hmm. Um, next question. How much will climate change affect Spartan Stadium in the future? <laughs> Structurally, none. That thing is a tank. When you can see the rebar, that's how you know that it's a solidly <laughs> constructed uh, building. Uh, but, I mean, like, more honestly, though, what, two, the only two games ever canceled for weather have happened in the last five, six years. Uh, so I think you're going to see more of that. It's going to happen more and more frequently. What do you think? 
Yeah, I, look, we're not climate scientists here, but the consensus among climate scientists is that the Earth is warming and that's causing more erratic behavior, more erratic weather. And, you know, you will see uh, probably warmer, a, a season that continues into uh, warmer weather. You'll see more storms, you know. Um, the stadium, to your point, probably fine. We're not looking at flooding in Michigan, but um, it certainly is going to affect football. So East Lansing is actually under a flood warning right now. Time of recording didn't stop me, but I'm sitting in a flood warning this instant. Oh boy, you're adding some real. You'll, we'll check in at the end of the uh, the end of the podcast to see. Have you? It's harrowing. It's harrowing. <laughs> Next question from Raymond Chains is. Spartan women's hoops can play with anyone at the Breslin. So what exactly happens on the roads? Are they taking naps, getting bad food at IHOP? I like the idea of the, the team continuously going to IHOP and then like having really bad road experiences and just being like, what is it? You guys, we can't figure it house. out. I, look, uh, Raymond, I, I think the, the answer is pretty simple. The, the issues in women's hoops aren't that different than the issues in men's hoops that road games are hard in the big 10 and the, that um, you look through the top end of the conference and there are still losses on the road that are happening. And, and so it doesn't necessarily equal out in the same way that the, in men's hoops where it's like everyone just loses on the road, but it is still pretty consistent that road losses are a real thing. Yeah, top-ranked Indiana has a road loss to also-ranked Iowa. Maryland, uh, who's, I think, second-ranked right now in women's hoops, has a couple of road losses. It is true that the uh, women's team did drop a neutral site game against LSU, so that's sort of an away-from-home type of thing that was unexpected. But and, and it's also true that the nature of some of these losses are extreme, not 27 points or whatever extreme but uh but i'm glad we're laughing digits. about that yeah we've moved on it's all just a joke now um so yeah i think for the most part it's just the nature of life on the road in the big 10 but it is it is true that there were high expectations for this team and they've not been realized quite yet uh, next question from Raymond Chains, which I think is a good one, and, and I appreciate that he uh, took the time to listen to us kind of talking some society and sports last week. He says, I respect that you don't like certain chants, but MSU student fans don't model good behavior at any major sporting event. Isn't that part of the appeal of college sports? I think the answer to that is, yeah. I mean, we've, uh, we've been known to have a, a tailgate and get a little rowdy. I heard you got rowdy at the, at the garden. This year, my friend. I did. I did. I did. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's not that you can't have fun at MSU athletic events or that we expect the student section to be, you know, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, but then also get on their feet and cheer for the team. Um, it's just the nature of some of this stuff. And, it, you know, honestly... I don't tend to be that hard on the student section in particular. Uh, as I pointed out last week, the little sister chant is not just the student section. It comes from multiple 
areas of the of the stadium so um yeah i i mean i i think it is part of the appeal um it's just that there are certain things that i think we need to be mindful of what do you think yeah i i would agree i'm i I actually hope that the msu students are nasty and mildly mean to the other team you know chanting airball incessantly after someone misses a shot is fantastic but you know we we mentioned other ways to get in uh Xavier Simpson's head last week we don't have a problem with them being trolls and indeed we like it uh and and to your point i probably ruined a game viewing experience for a father and son at the garden uh, <laughs> with some of my choice language about the referees, but that doesn't, that doesn't change that. We, we either a think that saying little sister is hacky at best. Um, and, and B think that it diminishes the athletic accomplishments of women and is just not, the kind of look that we want to demonstrate at MSU. So that's all. But I'm all about a student, a savage student section. Uh, All right. Last up, of course, the real upper deck jerk guy. He says, this one's sad. Thinking about giving up on watching sports. Thoughts? Let's start a book club, upper deck jerk guy. <laughs> what what's it gonna be? Reach out to us on Twitter. We'll we'll like get Anne of Green Gables or whatever it is that you want to read. We'll sit down, we'll pivot the podcast, we'll do a book club from here on out. You and Jonesy? And then, yeah, and then just upper your questions on the on the books. On the uh, books. As or, we talk about the beers that we're drinking while we're reading. Perhaps we could start a little beer club, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh invite listeners to Recommend beers. We'll drink them on the pod and discuss sports so Upper Deck Jerk Guy can still engage with sports. But, you know, uh, enjoy a beer through the week. Maybe listen to the or drink the beer while listening to the pod. It'll be it'll be a nice little situation. Perfect. That's all I got. All right. Next up. Uh, speaking of beers, what is the best beer pairing with buffalo wings? So uh, my approach is to go hoppy. Go as hoppy as you can. The hop takes your mind off of the sting. So it's like it's like stabbing yourself in the leg to get your mind off of the knife in your other leg. That's my approach in these situations. Uh, so I Googled this in, in anticipation of the question, and you are straight up wrong. <laughs> uh, IBUs, not great for it. Uh, hoppy tends to equal higher alcohol content. Also, not great. You want to go with malts. You want to get that sugar to help counteract the spice. It'll help you enjoy the wing, help bring out the flavor. That's the direction you want to go. So best beer, I'm not going to pick one for you, but probably looking at the porter stout space if you're, if you're trying to pair with wings. We'll do some research more later on and maybe provide a recommendation. So this was a study that was actually done by by the by whom? Uh, I don't know. It was based off of Sam Adams taste test, though. Oh, Sam Adams. Okay, so this was published in uh, the journal Nature and uh, we'll provide a bibliography 
for our sources in the podcast notes. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, next up, are you on TikTok? And I'm just going to answer this one. I don't know what TikTok is. I, oh my I God, get with understand. the kids. I've been singing the whole Nelly Furtado Loose album on TikTok. Follow me. Follow me. We're going through the whole discography. You're not even on Twitter. You're not on TikTok. And isn't uh, TikTok just like a new Vine? You have no idea. Oh okay, all right. Next up. Uh, so no is the answer for me. Uh, certainly for can't read, can't write, unless you're running a social media account I don't know about. Are you on TikTok, correct? All over it. Can't get me right. off TikTok. Next question then. Did Matt Painter just provide a, ro- a roadmap for other teams to beat the Spartans uh, or off night on the road in a place we just can't win? We sort of uh, already alluded to this one. My position is Big Ten teams already have the roadmap. It's just can they execute it? What do you think? Um. Yeah, and and I I take Izzo at his word. You know, the one thing I would say is that Purdue played a game that wasn't that different than A and M, or I'm sorry, Texas Tech played in the Final Four. There was strong physical defense, and it seemed to really mess with this team. So, look, uh, he's got two now. He needs to come up with that that sort of option off of a pick and roll to make things work. So uh, I don't think it's a roadmap. I trust in Izzo, but it is mildly concerning. And and to your point, Greg, I don't know that all teams are capable of pulling it off. So yeah. it takes the right team. I mean, that energy on defense was insane. To sustain that energy, even MSU's best defensive efforts, I didn't. I never feel like they're as in the face of the opponent as Purdue was in ours. That's so. when you get into the blue moon juice. I mean, that happens though. Blue Moon Juice. Speaking of Blue Moon Juice and Evan uh, Boudreaux, uh, Greg, we have our last not a sponsor who is teeing us up for our preview section, which is what everyone comes to us for is our previews. Right, right, of course. Uh, yeah, this episode of Can't Read, Can't Write is brought to you by, uh, or, or rather I should say, Can't Read, Can't Write and MSU Hockey. MSU Hockey and Can't Read, Can't Write have teamed up to let you know that Hey, we split the series in Minnesota this weekend. It wasn't great. It was fine. It was better than before. MSU Hockey thinks it would be nice if maybe you were there. But you know what? Don't worry about it. You get another shot in two weeks when Penn State comes to town. So be there, please. We won't lose by 29. Come to Mun. Come to Mun. And Penn State is, I believe, the highest ranked team in the Big Ten. Uh, they are good. I don't know. Uh, let me take a look at the pairwise rankings. While you're confirming that, I'm I'm going to go out and limb and say yes. And we've plugged uh, MSU hockey before. We had Jer Bear on to plug some MSU hockey, folks. You should get in on this. I can only speak for myself, but if I was living in the area, I would absolutely be going to games. They're super affordable, and on weekends generally. So a good thing to do. Get out. The The answer to your question is yes. Uh, Penn State is top of the Big Ten by slim margin. They are ranked five. Ohio State is ranked seven. Slim. Michigan State, 16. Third in the Big Ten. Yahtzee. All right, Greg. uh, Let's talk Wisconsin on Friday. I'm going to let you go through the stats, but what is important, what everyone needs to know, is that Cassius Winston is likely going to break Mateen Cleaves' record for not only all-time assists at MSU, but all-time assists in the Big Ten. 
and Mateen Cleaves will reportedly be in attendance for the game. Sure. So we get a passing of the torch. Uh, do, do you think they'll they'll film one of those uh, stupid little segments that they do in the NFL whenever someone breaks a record, they stop play to like show, you know, Joe Montana saying, congrats, jackass. They're not going to stop play, but there will be breaking some, my record. There will be some kind of montage. There will be some kind of video element at the end of the game. Are you, you going to be in attendance? I don't know yet. I hope so. We haven't figured that out yet. Um, so I, I'm not sure. But regardless, it should be a pretty good game. Do you want to sort of move on to Wisconsin? Yeah, sure. I mean, yes, absolutely. Tell, tell me about Wisconsin, Kevin. So Wisconsin basketball uh, is about what you would expect. It's a bit of a slog. They are uh, like literally bottom of the country in terms of tempo. Uh, I think they're like third or fourth from the bottom if you're if you're looking at the at the analytics on that. So it's not likely that they're going to blow anyone out like Purdue just did. Uh, and it's not likely that it's going to be a barn burning game, but, uh, they are pretty good on defense. Uh, they're like Ken Palm 23, uh, definitely the stronger suit of the team. Uh, not nearly as efficient on offense, although they can rip down the offensive boards. So, uh, we talked about Micah Potter recently. Uh, he's averaging somewhere about 10.7 rebounds a game in his six appearances, most of which have been league games. So uh, pretty good sample for not too many games, but uh, he's playing well. Uh, and, you know, I don't know what the line is. Is the line out? I mean, it won't be for several days, right? Wednesday, Thursday. So I would expect MSU to be favored by five. Six, do you think, in something like this? Yeah, that sounds about right. But uh, it should be a pretty good game of that you've come to expect between MSU and Wisconsin. Also, Brad Davidson is there uh, taking flops, as we established <laughs> last week. So you have that to look forward to as well. Yeah, I don't have the line in front of me, but for whatever it's worth, uh, ESPN's Basketball Power Index has MSU as a 78.2% favorite in the game. And uh, it's it's also worth, I, I think something to watch for is MSU and turnovers. Given, given how good Wisconsin is on defense, for whatever it's worth in the Purdue game, MSU had more turnovers than the absolute worst team in college basketball averages and turnovers every game. So if, if Wisconsin through that D is able to generate turnovers, start being a little bit concerned that that's the one thing I would, I'd keep an eye out for. Keep an eye on that stat. Yeah. So uh, with that, we thank you all for listening to another episode of can't read, can't write where you heard some Nelly Furtado. You heard some takes on beer and we kept things as positive as possible in these trying times. So, Greg, with that, go green. Go white.